Welcome to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. We give you the advice you need to know to make investing safe and profitable. With The Bull and the Bear podcast, you'll get exclusive access to some of the top thinkers, analysts, advisors, and gurus in the investment business. And now for your hosts, Matt Clark and Charles Sizemore. And welcome to uh, this episode of the Bull and the Bear podcast. I'm Matt Clark. Uh, glad you're with us uh, with uh, at MoneyMarkets.com. Uh, today we're going to take a, a track. Normally, you know, I don't necessarily like to get into famous people, although my guest is famous in his own right. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that later. Uh, before I let me before I get too off track here, um, I just want to remind everyone that you can listen to the Bull and the Bear on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us on Google Podcasts. You can listen to us on Spotify. We're also on iHeartRadio and a bevy of other uh, podcast syndicators out there. So uh, please go on there. Give us a review. Give us, uh, give us a ranking. Let us know what you think. If you have any questions, uh, comments, or anything like that, maybe it's something you'd like us to, uh, to dive into, make sure you email us at thebullandbear at moneyandmarkets.com. Uh, thebullandbear at moneyandmarkets.com. More than happy to check out your feedback there as well. Now, anyway, to get back on track, you know, I don't, I, I don't really like to talk about famous people just because, you know, they already get enough uh, press as it is and, and, you know, there's no sense. But what we're going to talk about today is, is a little bit different in terms of the investing world. When, when this individual speaks, as an investor, you stand up and you listen. And you listen, you listen well. I mean, it, this is, you drop everything to listen to what this, this individual has to say. And, and uh, you know, and for good reason. Um, you know, just in, in looking at the math, um, you know, this individual has, has had a total return since the 60s of almost 2 million percent. Uh, and that's, that's million with an M. Uh, so which is, which is awfully impressive and he's got a system that he works and, and, and it, and it, and it does well for him. I mean, just like any investor, there's ups and downs. Um, you know, they're not all winners. Uh, they, they never will be, but, but this, this individual has way more winners than he has had losers. And, and the person I'm talking about is, uh, the Oracle of Omaha, Warren Buffett. Great guy, by the way. Uh, you know, very humble, very down to earth. Very, he's got that midwestern feel, uh, that that midwestern mentality. Um, you know, doesn't really brag on himself. In fact, doesn't brag on himself at all. Doesn't brag on himself. Doesn't brag on his companies. Doesn't you know? He's just not that kind of person. Not 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 an ego to be found. Um, but he carries a lot of weight in the investment world. Um, you know, whether you are just a regular investor, whether you are more savvy or a day trader or, or, you know, companies stand up and, and take note of what, what Berkshire Hathaway is holding. Uh, you know, they want to know what, what is Berkshire Hathaway betting money on? Because when Berkshire Hathaway bets money based on what Warren Buffett says, Warren, you know, Berkshire Hathaway by and large makes a lot of money <laughs> and there's no denying that. And as an investor, let's be honest, that that's what we're here for. We're, we, we want to make money. You know, we're not just doing it for fun. It's not a not-for-profit sport. So that's uh, that's what we do. But what I want to talk about today is, is to drill in a little deeper because, you know, everyone likes to try to guess, um, you know, where uh, big bond traders and, and big investors, how, how they come up with their methodology and how they, how they determine what to do, what not to do, when to sell, when to buy, you know, when just to hold, hold steady and, and, and not do anything. Um, and, and Warren Buffett is one of those. I mean, a lot of people try to guess, okay, what's his, what's, what is he doing? How is he doing it? Because you always want to try to get an edge and try to get ahead of the game and figure if you've got that edge, then you're, you know, you, you can trade in advance and make big gains. 
not always the case, but there, there's some insight into that, uh, into what Warren Buffett does and how Warren Buffett performs and, and how he makes his, his money and how he makes his, his company a lot of money. And I want to bring in uh, Money Markets contributor Charles Sizemore because uh, you know, he had a very interesting piece on, on the Buffett indicator. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's one, something you coined or if that's, uh, if that's a generally known uh, you know, title, but I guess I want to bring you in because you have a very compelling, you know, article about uh, about the indicator and 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 how what what it's used for and how he uses it. And I really want to drill into that. So first off, um, welcome, and and second off, you know, let's talk about the Buffett indicator. What what exactly what exactly is it? Sure, sure. Well, thanks for having me. So the Buffett indicator, I did not coin that per se. I, I have heard uh, others refer to it. Uh, it is a quick and dirty metric that, that Warren Buffett uses to judge uh, the broad market's uh, valuation. So Buffett, of course, is not a market timer. Uh, his whole shtick is he buys good companies at reasonable prices, or is he, he speaks with a little more hyperbole, you know, fantastic businesses at reasonable prices. He's not necessarily a hard-nosed value guy in that he demands they be just dirt cheap. Uh, young Warren Buffett was like that, actually. Um, older Warren Buffett, when talking about the younger Warren Buffett, says, in my youth, I used to go for cigar butts. I would find something that had you know a few last puffs in it and then discard it. You know, He'd buy deep value, ride it a little higher, and get rid of it. Uh, as he got bigger, that just wasn't a viable strategy for him anymore. And he saw, look, I mean, if I want to really take advantage of longer-term trends, I need to, to find really good businesses at good prices, you know, reasonable prices, not even necessarily cheap, just right. reasonable yeah. and ride them. And so that's been his, that's been his, um, mantra is the wrong word. That's been his, that's his, his MO. methodology. Yeah. That's his MO. Yeah. His MO. yeah like, like, you know, Buffett, it's funny. Mo most people don't know this, but, but prior, there was a Warren Buffett before Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, Warren Buffett actually had a hedge fund. They didn't call them hedge funds back then. It was just a private investment partnership. But back in the fifties, Buffett killed it. You know, he ran a small hedge fund and just smashed the returns. Uh, yeah, the the returns, are, it, it's they're not publicly available. You have to look around, but they were upwards of thirty percent a year for a, a good stretch. Wow. So yeah, but Buff Buffett killed it when he ran a, a much smaller fund. Now what happened was he uh, in the uh, in the six uh, late fifties, early sixties. Wow, time goes. I can't remember exactly when it was. Buffett was uh, not happy with market valuation, so he ended up closing his fund and returning money to investors. And then what was left over, he traded for himself. That's how he sort of accidentally ended up with Berkshire Hathaway. He was trading Berkshire Hathaway stock. He, ha he actually had a, a methodology on this. He noticed that the, uh, the, the board of directors would issue a tender offer every couple months, every quarter, whatever it was. Uh, offering to buy back the stock at a, a pre-specified price. So he knew he, he knew that was going to happen. So he would get in front of that trade. He would buy up some Berkshire Hathaway, which at the time was not an insurance company. It was a failing textile building. Yeah, it was a textile company. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it, it was not doing well. So, so Buffett was kind of doing his old cigar, you know, uh, you know uh, cigar butt investing, you know, buying this cheap stock, riding it for a little bit and selling it for a little, a little bit more. What happened was, yeah, he got used to his quarterly call where the chairman would call him up and say, Mr. Buffett, uh, I understand you own some shares. We would like to tender those from you. We'll buy them for whatever the price was, you know, 10 bucks a share, you know, nine, nine fifty, you know, whatever it was. Right. And Buffett would say, okay, you know, send me the paperwork, we'll get it done. 
Well, they agreed to whatever the figure was. I don't remember. Let's call it 10 bucks a share. And when Buffett got the offer in the mail, it was $9.75. And you think like the, the older, you know, the older, wiser, you know, gentlemanly Warren Buffett would just kind of you know, whatever. This was the young hothead Warren Buffett. Yeah, right. It's hard to imagine that, but he was not always <laughs> a sage old man. You know, he used to be, you know, he, like the rest of us, he, he, had, he had a temper at some point. And he was so enraged by the fact that they tried to jip him by a quarter a share or whatever, whatever that was. Yeah, but they, they tried to jip him. They didn't. They sent the offer for less than what they agreed. Right. He ended up buying a controlling interest in Berkshire Hathaway, so he would have the pleasure of firing that guy. Wow, that's quite a story. That I mean, that, that's that's interesting. It's hard to believe that because you, you see Buffett now is this you know gentlemanly old man. But anyway, he. Uh, so then, yeah, he's like, I got that guy. <laughs> oh, now what? Now you own a company. I'm stuck with a company that's a disaster. So anyway, he ended up wasting, you know, a couple of decades of his life trying to kind of make Berkshire Hathaway work in its original format. It, it ultimately failed. I mean, that it's no longer a textile company. For right. Reasons. And Buffett transformed it into the financial powerhouse it is now by buying insurance companies and things like that. But it's funny if you ask if you ask Buffett and and Becky Quick of, of CNBC did ask Buffett this. She said, "Mr. Buffett, what is the worst investment mistake you've ever made in your career?" And he said, without even flinching, without hesitating, <laughs> buying Berkshire Hathaway. Buying Berkshire Hathaway, yeah. And, said, and now look what it's become. Over again, I would have skipped Berkshire Hathaway, never touched that thing, and I would have just bought Geico instead because, you know, Geico was his next major purchase. Right. And that's really what built the Buffett empire was investing the insurance float from Geico. So uh, anyway, he's like, yep, I would be twice as rich as I am today if I had never touched Berkshire Hathaway <laughs> and gone directly to Geico. That, uh, that's and, and that's pretty telling. He's a wealthy man. So to say he'd be twice as rich is, is a, a strong statement. But uh, getting back to the Buffett indicator, so 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 what is that? So uh, yeah, but again, Buffett doesn't time the market; he buys individual stocks, but he does like to know the environment he's in. And so his sort of quick and dirty analysis of where market valuation stands, he compares the market cap of the entire stock market. You can measure that different ways, whether we're talking S and P five hundred, Wilshire five thousand. It's that's not that important, but he compares the. Uh, the stock market, the size of the overall market to the size of the economy, the GDP. And over time, the two should move more or less together. I mean, obviously, stocks are a more leveraged bet on the economy. It's, it's not always one-to-one. -one. But what Buffett looks for is uh, this indicator getting out of whack. If stocks are disproportionately uh, valuable relative to the economy or much lower than usual relative to the economy, he would see that as overpriced or underpriced. Right. Well, so uh, backing up for a minute, if you recall when the world was ending a few months ago, it seems like at this point, a, a lifetime ago, but <laughs> the world was on fire back in March. And uh, everyone assumed the value investors like Buffett would, would ride in like the Lone Ranger and just start buying aggressively. Right. It didn't but happen. It didn't. didn't happen. No, we didn't. He did not at all. In fact, he actually used the strength at the end of March and beginning of April to dump a lot of his existing positions. He actually lightened up on stocks. Right. And you ask, well, why? What was it that Buffett saw? Well, if you look at this indicator, this um, market cap to GDP indicator, at the lowest it got in, in March, like the depths of March, it was still higher than the 
pre-2008 high. So like before the world blew up in 2008, like, you know, stocks had gone up for, you know, four, four and a half years. The, that ratio was back at pre-2008 blow up levels. Wow. So, you know, today, the, the, GD, the, uh, the market cap of uh, the Wilshire Total Market Index is about 150 times GDP. Now, it's actually going to be higher than that because, as you know, GDP is in free fall at the moment still, right, um, right. and, and that, that is not reflected in the numbers yet. That's a lagging – that we don't get data for GDP for months after the fact. So uh, it's actually going to be higher than what that indicator suggests. Um, at the lowest point it, it, in the recent sell-off, it get, got down into the, you know, the 120s range, but that's still very, very high by historical standards. To put that in, in, in context, in early 2009, after the 2008 meltdown had just ripped through everything and um, you know, when things finally bottomed out there in the first quarter of 2009, the index was at 50. And it's 50. at 120 now. It's at 150 You're, now. 150 now. Exactly. So, uh, and it was at 120-ish at the lowest point in, in March. So you know, we're talking like you know, the lowest point in this recent sell-off never got anywhere near the sort of generational buying opportunity we saw in 2008, 2009. I mean, right. More than double. And, uh, you know, this is not just a single data point. If you, if you look at, at the data stream on that, it's, um, well, one thing you will notice is o- overall stocks have become a bigger piece, uh, have become bigger relative to GDP. Like that is a long-term secular trend and that very well might continue. There's, no set in stone reason why the total value of the market cap has to be less than or more than GDP. Right. But again, what you're looking for is, is it massively out of proportion to historical norms? And in this case, the answer is yes. It, it had been trending higher for, for decades and then kaboom, it just, it, it shot to the moon uh, post 2008. And so that's, that's the Buffett indicator. You're, you're asking, you know, why is Buffett not buying? This is, I mean, I don't, pretend to read Mr. Buffett's mind, but I don't have that Vulcan mind meld thing going. I wish I did. But um, we can presume based on Buffett's uh, past interviews that this is a major reason why he's not investing. So in layman's terms, what we're looking at right now, just using this one indicator, let's preface by saying, you know, there are many indicators out there that you can use to determine whether it's time to buy or time not to buy or, or, or whatever. But what this indicator itself is what Warren Buffett uses as, as kind of a, a precursor to decide what he's going to do with the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio suggests now that the market is extremely overvalued, especially compared to GDP. And exactly. as, and, and is that GD, as GDP continues to fall, and it's likely that it will, because as you said, it's a lagging indicator. Um, you know, right now we're in the second quarter. We all, we only have first quarter GDP, you know, hard, hard numbers at this point. We won't get second quarter GDP numbers for another month or two, I don't think. So, so we don't even know the depths of this. We know that, you know, Fed Chair Jerome Powell uh, had, a pre- had followed up the Fed meeting on Wednesday by suggesting that they, the you know, Fed perceives the economic impacts of the coronavirus to be long-lasting, not just a one-off, real quick type of a thing, but it's going to last for a while. That would suggest that GDP, you know, is going to continue to fall. Um, how long, how far, how fast, you know, it's anybody's guess. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, second quarter GDP is going to be down. 
Third quarter GDP possibly up, but not nearly as high as where it needs to be. Fourth quarter GDP could be around the same. Who knows? But again, to, to wrap all this into, into a, a layman's terms, the, the, according to this particular indicator, the market is extremely overvalued. There's a lot of companies out there that are priced way higher than where they should be. Now, the rationale for that is something that I don't think any of us really understand just because this market is not behaving in a, in a traditional manner. Now, again, we've said it before, the stock market is not the economy, and the economy is not the stock market. So to suggest that if the stocks are up, the economy is good, or stocks are down, the economy is bad, that's kind of a misnomer. It's not necessarily how it works. But if you are comparing the two, the two segments, the GDP and, and the stock market, I think you're right. There should be some level of, of some kind of uniformity, either moving up or moving down. Not, you know, not a wild, not a vast, uh, a vast difference. And that's what we're yeah, seeing now. Clear. This is a, a quick and dirty measurement. It's not like Warren Buffett is, you know, there with a financial calculator, like, you know, getting it to the penny. I mean, that, that's not how he invests. It's never how he's invested. Yeah, this is a very broad, yeah. this is a very broad yeah. look at, at the entire market compared to the entire GDP. It's not drilling down to a sector. It's not drilling down to this. Sure. It's, it is a broad look at the overall market, not, you know, and that's how it should be viewed. It's a, it's a very much a, a top-down kind of a look. And then from there, you, you drill down even further. But again, what this indicates is that we've got it. We're in a market now that is, extremely overvalued compared to GDP. Well, what it comes down to is one of Buffett's favorite terms is, is margin of safety, because he knows it's a mistake to be overly precise. Mm. And, uh, you know, there was a great quote on, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but uh, John Maynard Keynes had an interesting quote on, uh, he said, I would rather be generally right than precisely wrong. Right. And uh, people forget, people associate Keynes as being kind of a, a socialist or whatever, and he, he kind of was, but but he was actually a stock, stock trader. And apart from being an academic economist, he was actually a successful stock trader for, uh, for people don't know that. But anyway, uh, his, his comment that I would rather be, you know, generally right than precisely wrong, well, well that's how Buffett views this. You know, it's, it's a mistake. You know, if anyone who knows something about you know, stock valuation, you know, how do you value a stock? Well, you can use a, a discounted cash flow model where you model out what their sales are going to be and their profits going to be years in the future. And you assign a discount rate, which is based on market interest rates, plus uh, a premium factor in there. Well, if you adjust that, that discount rate by half a percent or a quarter of a percent, it can cause the, the stock price to go up or down, like your, your theoretical stock price to go up or down by half or something crazy. So, right. Um, it, it is a mistake to try to be overly precise in any sort of market valuation because very, very small changes in your assumptions have huge impacts. So that's that comes back to Buffett's margin of safety. You, you, you don't need it to be exactly precise. You just need it to be generally you know, a guiding principle, basically. And, and, and that's where we are. Now, there are, you know, there's always some caveats. It's never different this time, but it's always a little bit different this time. There are a few reasons why the market should be more expensive than the past. Number one being interest rates are at zero. When you have a low interest rate environment, asset prices that are assets that are priced based on those low interest rates should be higher. Right. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's how that works. Uh, beyond that, uh, you also have the Fed aggressively pumping money into the system that also pushes things higher. And then Finally, the composition of the market changes over time. And today, 
uh, the S&P 500, for example, it's completely uh, loaded with tech companies, which tend to be higher margin. Mm -hmm. All else equal, these higher margin companies should have higher valuations than an electric utility or something. Right. Um, all of that said, I mean, all, all that's fine. Those are all very valid arguments. But do they give you that margin of safety that would justify this level of of, of overvaluation? And I would I would say probably not. No, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think so at all. A, I think you can make a big quantum leap stretch and say that stocks are maybe fairly valued, but that's a stretch. I, I think you know it's 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 also probably not fair to say no, like they're just the most expensive they've ever been in history. That's probably not quite fair either because of these 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 caveats, but. I would say it's fair to say you you don't have much of a margin of safety right now. This is a, a more expensive than usual market. It is a riskier than usual market. You do need to take that into consideration before you put a single dollar into this. And that leads me into into my next question, and that is if I'm an investor and I'm looking at this and I see the news and I see you know I, I read your piece and and hear you talk about uh, about the Buffett indicator and 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 how it would appear that based on, on, on this metric that stock, the stock market is overvalued. Now, whether that doesn't necessarily drill down to a specific company, but by and large, the entire market is, is, is overvalued as an investor. What, how should I take that news? What should I do with that news, with that information? You know, it's, it's use a baseball analogy and I still hold out hope that we may get baseball this year. I just, I, I, you know, something on sports of some kind, I'm just right. I, I think I told you this before. I actually found myself watching uh, South Korean baseball the other day because oh, yeah. there, I was just so starved for sports. There was, there was, I, I, there was nothing else on. I understand you know, completely. <laughs> use a baseball analogy. Uh, you wait for that fat pitch. If you want to swing for the fences and knock it out of the park, you wait for the fat pitch. You don't, you know, you don't go swing at every curveball. You know, you, you wait for that one down the pipe. And this is not that moment. This is that doesn't mean you need to be completely out of stocks, but it, it does mean this is not a time to be overly allocated. If let's just throw out some numbers. If 60-40 is kind of the baseline allocation that you know they recommend, yeah, you know, the, the financial planners, what have you, uh 60% stocks, 40% bonds. If that's sort of the, the baseline. There are times when you should say, okay, but stocks are cheap. So I'm going to push that needle. I'm going to go 80% in stocks or 100, whatever. I mean, I'm going to, I might take out a margin loan and go 120% in stocks. And right. Don't, don't, please don't do that. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, but you get my point. You know, there are times where it makes sense to be overweighted relative to your, your normal allocation based on uh, valuations, based on the situation. There's that fat pitch. You got to swing for it. But there are times where it makes sense to be underweighted as well. And a time like this, when markets are at this level, you probably want to have some skin in the game. I mean, this market has, you know, Thursday's action notwithstanding, this market has a lot of momentum behind it. It makes sense to have some skin in that game. It does not make sense to be fully invested. You know, you, you, if your normal allocation is 60-40, maybe you should be 50-50, maybe 40-60. I mean, is this, is, 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 it, is this a situation where obviously maybe more cash in the portfolio is uh, is beneficial? Yeah. Well, more cash, and I would also argue, you know, that part that you would normally have in bonds, I would keep that if if not in cash, at least in shorter dated bonds, because mm -hmm. with bond yields where they are now, it's not to say yields can't go lower; yields can go negative. Who knows? Sure. But it's but they're that's that's not likely, and, and you know that that big move in longer term yields.
as already have. Remember, yield down, price up, price down, yield up. Yeah, that's the that's the way bond you know bond valuations work. Right. They actually do make train trainees and a lot of investment banking programs put their arms out and do the airplane thing. For <laughs> like, they'll never forget it. I mean, like that's something you never forget when right. you have to get up in a room and do that. But uh, you know, anyway, uh, with, with with yields as low as they are now, the big movement in price and bonds has already happened. Uh, if, if anything, you are taking risk to to keep you know a a, a long dated bond portfolio. Uh, well, to keep it long dated. Uh, it, it makes a lot more sense to keep your bond portfolio closer to cash, you know, one to five years uh, right. maturity at most. Uh, but yeah, you're not you're not really getting a lot more yield if you go further out on the curve right now, but you are taking more risk. So yeah, I mean, keep keep more cash uh, on the sidelines, you know, just in case. Um, you know, keep keep your bond allocation a little bit shorter term. Keep some stocks, keep some in stocks. I mean, at the end of the day, this this market does have a lot of momentum, but uh, but this is not a time to to go in big. You know, this is a, this is a time for for small ball, if you will. Um, I would also say, yeah, have a plan. You know, know when you're going to get out. Uh, know if you're going to get out. You know, you may have some positions that you're comfortable holding through a bear market. Maybe they're good dividend payers or or, or whatever. Right? But you may have a, a handful of stocks that you're like, yep. If they fall fifty percent, I don't care. They'll come back. I'm not worried about it. Right. You Fine. love you love the company. You're in it for the long haul and, and right. market if, fluctuations. If that's your situation with with those stocks, then by all means, carve those out, and those are your long term picks. But if you have others that are you're less committed to, then know when you're going to sell them. Have a plan for that. So the, the 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 overarching thing here is this is not necessarily a time to be completely out of the market. It's certainly not a time to be completely in the market. Uh, you just kind of have to do your homework and, and figure out what is the best methodology for you. And and you can use the Buffett indicator as as a way to kind of judge, you well, know, uh, the overall look of the that, market. You know, at, at, what is Buffett himself doing? Buffett didn't sell everything. No, uh, Berkshire, but Berkshire Hathaway sitting on uh, oh I can't remember the number exactly. Something about something like a third of its market cap is cash right now. Right. But that means he still has a lot, plenty invested. So, yeah. you know, if, if you want to take a play out of Buffett's book, you know, keep the stocks you believe in, um, you know, ride those higher, but keep some cash on the sidelines too. Good advice. Good advice. We're going to close it up right there. Uh, Charles Sizemore, appreciate the time and appreciate you coming on uh, today. And uh, always, always a pleasure to have you on every week. So thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Um, we, uh, you know, again, uh, Money Markets, uh, the Bull and the Bear podcast on moneymarkets.com. You can check us out on, on uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, rather, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Um, you know, whatever, whatever your syndication choice is, you can check us out on YouTube. If you're watching this on video, we do have a YouTube channel if you, if you know already, but uh, by all means go to youtube.com and you can uh, do a search for the bull and the bear podcast, find us, subscribe, uh, get alerted every time we put out a new video of any kind, whether it's the podcast or, uh, we're, we're working on a uh, money markets one-on-one series, uh, to, to kind of outline some of the, uh, some of the, uh, intricacies of the market and, and give you kind of a clear, concise definition of what those are. Uh, a lot of other things all, uh, you know, coming down uh, coming down the road as well so uh, you know make sure you jump in on that so subscribe uh, in whatever method works for you youtube or audio or or however check us out at moneymarkets.com as well 
and uh, would love to hear from you. Uh, the bull and bear at moneyandmarkets.com is our email address. Uh, hit us up. Let us know if there's maybe a topic you'd like me to, to, to pick Charles's brain about or Adam O'Dell, chief investment strategist for uh, Money and Markets or anyone else. So we'd love to, we'd love to hear that. Leave us a review. Leave us, uh, leave us some comments anytime. We do, uh, we do appreciate that. So for Charles Sizemore, I am Matt Clark. Uh, glad you're listening to us on uh, this edition of the Bull and the Bear podcast. And until next time, safe trading. You've been listening to The Bull and the Bear, a Money and Markets podcast. Tune in each week to hear insights on how to make investing safe and profitable for you. 